have a couple of readings for this evening. We have no crash on, so if you feel you need to take your child out, you can go through and it's live streamed through into our cafe area. Market Hill Christian Fellowship Healing Service has been moved to Thursday, not Monday, 7.30. Kyle, that was for you. I'll get you to do the rest later on. Will you please give me the nod? And he waves at me so I have to go, you carry on. <laughs> the Lord bless you. Turn with me to our first reading, please, in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 16. Matthew, chapter 16. Beginning to read at verse 1. We'll read the first four verses just. The Pharisees also with the Sadducees came and tempting desired him that he would show them a sign from heaven. He answered and said unto them, When it is evening, ye say it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning it will be foul weather today, for the sky is red and lowering. O ye hypocrites, ye can discern the face of the sky can you not discern the signs of the times? Tracy, what are you doing there? I thought you were talking to me in a funny language. I was going to have to, in- to, have to interpret that. Verse 4. A wicked and adulterous generation seek after a sign, and there shall be no sign... There shall no sign be given unto it but the sign of the prophet Jonas. And he left them and departed. Our second reading is in Luke's Gospel, chapter 12. Luke's Gospel, chapter 12. Just a couple or three verses here. Verse 54, please. And he said also to the people, When you see a cloud rise out of the west, straightway you say there cometh a shower, and so it is. And when you see the south wind blow, you say there will be heat. And it cometh to pass, ye hypocrites, ye can discern the face of the sky and of the earth, but how is it that you do not discern this time? Let's pray. Father, We ask you now, Lord, that you would settle us. This very warm evening, Lord, we thank you for your blessings upon us. But we ask you now, Lord, that you would settle us, that we may, Lord, be attentive to your word, and that we may be the better off for being here this evening, because we've been in your presence, and because we have worshipped you, and because we have taken in your word to our hearts. Awaken us up as a church and awaken us up as a people. And Father, we pray, Lord, if there's one that's still not made that decision to come to saving faith, Lord, that you've been speaking to them maybe sometime. Maybe they've been resisting you. Father, we pray tonight they will see their need to get right and ready and saved. May they come to Christ. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. In Matthew 16, the Lord Jesus, speaking to the Pharisees, says in verse 3, You can discern the face of the sky, but, you can't, but can ye not discern the signs of the times? Notice. They were looking for something to, for him to prove, and it was to do with salvation. Who are you? And of course, he tells them there'll be no sign given to a wicked generation, but the sign of the prophet Jonas. Now, that is Jonah in the Old Testament, and the sign was that Jonah would be swallowed by a whale, would be in the whale's belly for three days and three nights until the whale would vomit him out again. And so Jesus is likening that to his death, burial, and resurrection. And so he's saying unto these Pharisees, you don't even realize who it is in front of you. You don't even realize it's the day that I've come. And you don't realize you're asking for signs like as if he was some performing monkey for them. And he says that that if you're looking for a sign, the cross is the only sign. My friend, if you're here tonight and you're saying, Lord, show me a sign, and I'll come to saving faith one more time, speak to me once more, 
There is no other sign for your salvation than the cross. There's no sign in the temple in Jerusalem. There's no sign in the denomination that you belong in. There's no, no sign anywhere else, but here is the cross of Christ and the precious shed blood of the Lamb. He says, there's no other sign. And outside of looking for something else for salvation, he says, it's a wicked generation who looks for anything but what Christ has accomplished on Calvary. And so when we look at our second reading in Luke chapter 12 and verse 56, in Matthew 16 and 3, he says, you cannot discern the signs of the times. You know whenever it's going to be good weather. You can look and you can see the sky. You can judge when the rain is coming. But you can't see me. And then in Luke 12, 56, he says, you hypocrites, you can discern the face of the sky and of the earth, but how is it that you do not discern this time? Notice this is his first coming. This is coming towards Calvary. He says, now you can discern the signs of the times. You can discern the skies, as it were, but you can't discern who's standing right before you. And how true is it even today that men can discern all manner of things, even the weather patterns, we can look at them. And thankfully, Northern Ireland's been hit by this wonderful weather for a couple of weeks now. And I don't know, I haven't seen as many brown faces in all my life outside of, of Tenerife when you're in holidays. Look, even my own uh, has got some color. But nevertheless, we can discern the times. The farmers can discern and tell when the weather's going to change. But many can't see that it's in Christ and his cross work where salvation alone is found. He says, this is the time when things change. This is the, the time when eternity matters for you. And it's only at this time. Notice here, the signs of the times, our second reading, this time, and then if you'll go to Luke chapter 19, please. We're going to do a little Bible study here and there. It's going to be uh, we're going to get a little deeper in a moment. We're going to get more prophetic in a moment. So just bear with me. Luke chapter 19. And let your eye run down to verse 44. And they shall lay thee even with the ground and thy children within thee. And they shall not leave thee in one stone upon another. This is the destruction of the temple. He prophesies at that time of the destruction of the temple. Why? Because thou knewest not the time of thy visitation. He says to them, you didn't realize. You didn't recognize the time you're living in. You didn't realize the time of your visitation. So the idea of this is, we must look for the signposts for what is coming ahead, for the second coming of Christ, and for all that the Bible tells us prophetically. The Bible has pointed to so much. So tonight, we're going to look at signposts, or biblical signposts, to Armageddon. Why would we need to preach in such a thing? You see, Jesus is the gospel in a nutshell, but Jesus preached the gospel. He preached the gospel of the kingdom to do with the nations of the world, to do with Israel, dispersed and regathered, Christianized, the gospel sent forth. All of it was so important for the day and the hour that we live in. For you and I sitting here tonight, we are hearing of all sorts of rumors of wars. We're hearing of Donald Trump with the North Koreans. And now this weekend, it's been China has raised its head again and the Russians have got involved and with all of these things in Syria. And there's so many things happening around the world that people are walking blindly and they're saying, well, there's another news bulletin. But the Bible has told us it before it happened. And it's in order to show us a signpost to the battle of that great day of God Almighty. I say Armageddon. But I'll be honest with you, I believe that we're already in those times from World War I, World War II. The world has never known peace from it. And now we're looking at World War III. We'll call it Armageddon. It's the battle of the great day of God Almighty. It's the proper word for the last great battle that is to come. But notice this. In Matthew chapter 24, on verse 42, again, Jesus gives a warning. Matthew 24 and verse 42. He says, Watch therefore, 
for you know not what are your Lord doth come. How are we going to watch if it's a secret rapture? That's because it's not a secret rapture. We're going to watch for it. Watch for the signs. Look out for where they're pointing us to. Watch therefore, for you know not what hour your Lord doth come. Verse 44, Jesus says again, Therefore be ye also ready, for in such an hour as you think not the Son of Man cometh. Can I ask you, are you ready? Well, how do I be ready for this great time? You must be born again. That's how you get ready. You come to Calvary and repent. You come to Calvary and you, you have a change of mind and a change of heart. And you, you're washed by faith in the blood that Jesus shed. Even from the first two readings that you know that visitation was God Almighty in flesh nailed to the cross that you might be forgiven. That you might be rebetrothed unto him. Become the bride of Christ. Notice. So what are the biblical signposts? I'm going to flick through some. And I'm going to show you how they're all pointing. Then we're going to come to the great... I believe it's one of the, the most important signposts of the last 100 years. And everything for where we are will spin off of that. For example, Matthew 24, if you're still at it, please. Matthew 24. Notice here, we're going to be flicking back and forward, so you can forgive me. I just want to pick these out as we go along. Matthew 24, verse 32. Verse 32. Lord Jesus says, Now learn a parable of the fig tree. When her branch is yet tender and putteth forth leaves, you know that summer is nigh. So likewise ye, when ye shall see all these things, know that it is near even at the doors. Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass, Till all these things be fulfilled, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. I believe that prophecy there, right there, of the parable of the fig tree, is one of the most momentous and important prophecies for our time. The whole of history seemed to change when the fig tree showed forth leaves. Nationally, it bears no fruit but it shows forth leaves. Then if you go to verse 37, pointer number two, or signpost number two, but as, as in the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark and knew not until the flood came and took them all away so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Notice what Jesus says here. It will be like the days of Noah on the earth when he returns. Now, we haven't time to read this, but you read Genesis chapter 6 when you go home, and violence filled men's hearts continually all day. There was all, all sorts of sexual immorality, and, and the people loved to have it so. And only Noah and his generation from Shem they kept, as it were, their very line of righteousness by not mingling and mixing with the other peoples. And God blessed that. And God sent them forth to be a preacher. To, he tells them then to build the ark. And we know the story of, of the ark. And there's a lot of teaching in there we can't do tonight. Jesus said, in my coming again, the place will be like the days of Noah. Then let's look a little further then in... 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy chapter 4. And all we're doing is giving you little synopsis. Each one of these deserve a night to be preached on at least. 1 Timothy chapter 4, just the first two verses. Paul says, Now the Spirit speaketh expressively that in the latter times. When is the latter times? In the latter times today. We're in the latter times. That in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Notice, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. We've been on that for three mornings here. 
of how there's a, the, the Antichrist spirit is prevailing right across the world, but especially in Ulster and in Ireland with the abortion policies that they have now have voted for, and the Great Britain and the United States and in Canada, and all of the sin and the poverty. We've looked at it. We looked this morning at how preachers no longer preaching the gospel from the pulpit and how they'll stand before God. We'll do another one next week in the Lord's will on the Sunday morning. Seducing spirits are taking men and women, and they are now voting for the, uh, the murder of babies in the womb. Gay marriage. Pedophiles from Islam set free by the like of Tommy Robinson is put into a prison cell. And he's not a pedophile. He's reporting it. Our, our society has fallen into the hands of seducing spirits that's turned our nation upside down. Are we not living in these days? Doctrines of devils, speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. Paul tells us that's what it will be like in the latter times or the last days, and we're seeing it in our nation. We're seeing it in Ulster. We're seeing it in Ireland. We're seeing it in the United Kingdom, where good is evil and evil is good. There's no more righteousness in the land, and you and I are now, those who, I mean, are standing for the gospel are now, we are standing as it were alone. But listen, we're not alone. Jesus says, when he was asked, was he alone? He says, I am not alone. My Father is with me. Since God before us, who then can be against us? You might say, but the Scripture says, if God be for us. No, because you see, the term if gives the idea or lends to the idea of what if he is or what if he isn't. The Greek term says, since he's for us. God is for us. Let's remain faithful to the preaching of the word. When you go with me to 2 Timothy chapter 3, 2 Timothy chapter 3, beginning to read at verse 1, this know also that in the last days, perilous times or dangerous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce-breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good. Isn't that what we're seeing today in our society? That's what we're seeing on our news. That's what we're hearing on the radio programs and broadcasts. That's what we're seeing in the newspapers. If you buy newspapers, I don't. But that's what's happening in our society in general. And these are signposts that God says, I'm sending my son soon. These are all signposts and warnings for us, traitors, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure, more than lovers of God. It's in the church. The church has become lovers of pleasure. This is a sunny Sunday. It's a lovely day. God has blessed us to come and worship him. Thank the Lord. There's so many here tonight. But holy day is not a holiday because we've wanted more for ourselves rather than the service of the king. Notice this. Having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof from such turn away. For of this sort are they which creep into houses and lead captive silly women, laden with lust, led away with divers' lust, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. So here's another signpost, what it will be like. Occultic practice in 1 Timothy 4, seducing spirits, doctrines of devils. Fourth one was 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 to 7. We have selfish and ungodliness in society en masse. Fifthly, we look at Luke chapter 1, 21, pardon me, if you'll turn with me. Luke chapter 21. An increase of natural disasters. Luke 21, let your eye run down to verse 25. And there shall be signs in the sun and the moon and the stars and upon the earth 
distress of nations with perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring, men hearts failing them for fear, and for looking after those things which are coming on the earth, for the powers of heaven shall be shaken. Notice where we are with these. Notice what it says now. And then shall they see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now notice the little word there where it says in verse 25, And upon the earth the stress of nations with perplexity. The word perplexity is a, a word, aporia, and it means like a cul-de-sac, the founders no way out. See all the governments are meeting in the G20. Anyway, it's all new one worldism, all they're doing. That's all they're really gathering for. It's one world order. It's new, new world order and one worldism. See all of these governments gathering together, and you have the European Union, you have the United Nations. They can't fix the world. They're trying to work the way out of the European Union where Italy now is, is thinking of breaking free. Praise God, pray for them. And all of these things are starting to shake. God's shaking things. And they're clinging on with all of their might to the United Kingdom. They're clinging on to Italy and they've clung on to Spain. And they rebuked the Republic of Ireland some, what was it, about eight, ten years ago when they decided they wanted to leave to keep them in. Men are trying to hold on and change things, but they found themselves, whether it's in Syria or whether it was in Iraq or Afghanistan or now whether it's in the Far East, they're finding themselves digging a deeper hole and there's no way out. It's perplexity. That's what the Lord says. The word is perplexity or aporia. They have brought themselves into a cul-de-sac and they can't get themselves out. It's the same in Stormont and Ulster here, isn't it? They've got themselves in a fix. And guess what? They can't get themselves out because if one gives up from their little stance, you see, they've let it go on too long and they entered in when they shouldn't. And they've found themselves now in a fix. And now you see, can two walk together except they be agreed? And the answer is no. <laughs> the answer is no. Notice this. An increase of natural disasters. And then if you flick back to Luke chapter 17, Luke chapter 17, we see a rise in sexual immorality. Another signpost. This is signpost number six. Arise in homosexuality. Arise in heterosexual um, freeness, if you want, of, of, of many partners and so on. Notice what it says here in Luke 17, verse 28. Likewise, also, as it was in the days of Lot. They did eat, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they builded. But the same day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even thus shall it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. Jesus is saying, when I come back and I'm revealed, he says, it's going to be like the days of Noah. It's going to be like the days of Lot. It's going to be where the, the very men... Of, of Sodom tried to manhandle to, to rape the, the angels that went to visit Lot. He says, bring them out that we might know them. And the term know is like a man would know a woman. It's the same term. God rained fire and brimstone down in that time. We see it. It's everywhere. It's everywhere you go. Everywhere we turn. When you go now to Luke chapter 21, we want to go to our first signpost, the parable of the fig tree. This is so important. Luke 21, first of all, verse 24. Jesus says, And they shall fall by the edge of the sword and shall be led away captive into all nations. And Jerusalem shall be trodden down of the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. Notice, Jerusalem shall be trodden down of the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. Now, I have done this. I've done it with PowerPoint. I've made a DVD of it and video of it for you, but I'm going to do it again because I keep giving it to you because it's so important to learn this. Notice what he says in verse 29. 
And he spake unto the, to them a parable, Behold the fig tree and all the trees when they now shoot forth, you see and know of your own selves that summer is now at hand. So likewise, ye, when you see these things come to pass, notice the fig tree and all the trees, when you see them come to pass, know ye that the kingdom of God is nigh at hand. Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass away till all be fulfilled. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away, says the Lord Jesus. So the times of the Gentiles. In Leviticus chapter 26, the Lord said unto Israel, If you walk contrary unto me, I'll walk contrary unto you, and I will punish you seven times more for your sins. Okay? Seven. Notice the language. Seven times. Seven times more for your sins. And he rehearses that to them a few times over and over again. So you'll find out in Leviticus 26. You can read that when you go home. Now, the house of Israel. Israel split into two kingdoms. I've taught you it many times. The ten tribes in the north and the two in the south. And Judah uh, was in Jerusalem, uh, the capital city. And the, the, the northern kingdom had their capital called Samaria. They were taken away. And the seven times punishment started with them around 721 B.C. But now when we're looking at this, the parable of the fig tree, we look at Judah, the southern kingdom. And you see, the, the fig was a sign of Judah, which became known as a sign even of Jewry or the Jews there. And notice here we have a time scale, seven times. Now, Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, he came with his armies and he attacked back and forward and he took away Jerusalem. Okay? So he was the king in Babylon and their seven times punishment started. But notice this. When Nebuchadnezzar was crowned king of Babylon... He was crowned king of Babylon in 607 B.C. 607, notice, B.C. Now, when you take seven times punishment, I'm going to do the actions all over again. You could get up here, some of you, and do them yourself. One time, okay, one time, 360 degrees. One time, and I'm not doing seven because I get dizzy, but one time is 360 so one time multiplied by seven would bring us to, any of you mathematicians, 2,520, okay? 2,520 what? Well, throughout prophecy, we can't go through it. I've done it before. We have a day-year scale of prophecy. So every day for a year, year for a day. And so when we do 2,520, it's 2,520 years, Okay? 2,520 years. Nebuchadnezzar is crowned king of Babylon in 607 BC. Start the punishment from there even. And it comes right down. And it goes 607, 606, 605. It gets smaller. It comes to the year minus one. You have to add one because there's no year not. You have 1 AD, 2 AD, and it builds right up again. You keep detracting away the 2,520 years. And it brings us to the year. Notice. 1914, when the First World War started. 1914. And from then, until then, was the times of the Gentiles for the house of Judah. Then if you go for another time scale, when Nebuchadnezzar actually came and conquered Jerusalem, which would be 604 B.C., three years he was a king on the throne in Babylon, 604 B.C., take away 2,520, 603, 602, 601, and so on, down to, down to minus one, add one on for, for no year not, you have 1 A.D., 2 A.D., and so on, you come to the year 1917 A.D. 1917 A.D., and what happened was the Turkish Ottoman Empire. Now, this is so important for where we're going tonight. The Turkish Ottoman Empire were invincible. They were a, a, a vast-ranging empire throughout the Middle East, right into the very Balkans to the west and maybe even further afield into Romania, right across, right in towards um, where uh, the far sides of Iran would be today. And they were a ferocious people. They were a vicious people. And they had Jerusalem 
they, they ruled Jerusalem at this time. So when we look at it, we have to say, well, what did happen in this time? Henry, Dr. Henry Grattan Guinness was a preacher. Um, he was from Dublin, Dublin, Ireland. And he was the, I think it was the nephew of, of Arthur Guinness, who made the Guinness Brewery. Half of them were evangelical preachers and Christians. And the other half of the family went into the brewery business. But Henry Grattan Guinness, if you go to Trinity College today, I was there just a couple of weeks ago, and there outside Trinity College, just on the other side of the road, there's a great big statue to him, the preacher standing there to this day. He had wrote, written some wonderful books. The, the Approaching End of the Age was one of them. A real scholar. He was a real uh, evangelical witness and uh, a great preacher for uh, the gospel for to see people being saved. But he went to America. He was in England. He was all over. And he wrote The Romanism and the Reformation, if you had, want to get that book, that's another good book he wrote. But in another book that he had written called Light for the Last Days, he had taken this before anyone else had thought of this, only God and the prophets. And this is what he says in his book. Now listen, he had written this in 1886. Yeah, 1886. 31 years excuse me, 31 years before it happened. Now notice, 1886, Dr. Henry Grattan Guinness wrote, and I quote him, the year 1917 is doubly indicated in prophecy as a final crisis date in which the seven times punishment runs out. There can be no question that those who will live to see this year, 1917, will have reached one of the most important perhaps the most momentous of these terminal years of crisis. That's what he wrote in 1886. A man called uh, General Belvoir, Christian general in the British Army, reads it. And reading his book and reading the Word of God, he realizes, well, Jerusalem may just be released at this date. Then he goes to Edmund Allenby, and he later becomes a general in the British army, but he goes and he says, will you take an, uh, the forces over that they wanted to liberate Jerusalem? But Allenby was reluctant because no one has ever been able to remove the Turkish Ottoman Empire out of Jerusalem. They've tried many times. They've come home with the tail between their legs, as it were, and, and they were in, in defeat. They were humiliated. But when he's seen the Word of God and what the Word of God said on it, he went with confidence, and all over, uh, all over the Holy Land or, or Canaan Land, or you can find a, a, that you read of bloodshed was everywhere. But when they came and encroached in on Jerusalem, Allenby realized, I don't want the city ruined or destroyed. So he sent over the little by wing planes. Just if, there was no RAF then. It was only the little by wing planes, and they were, it was called the, uh, the Earth Royal Flying Corps. And he sends them flying over Jerusalem, dropping leaflets, telling the Turks to surrender. And they see these great big birds, as it were, flying, and they're very heavily armed in Jerusalem. And they dropped everything and went out and surrendered to a couple of little privates sitting up the road a bit, and they surrendered to them. The 9th of December, 1917, when the seven times punishment had ended for Judah, Jerusalem was liberated without a shot being fired, without a bomb being dropped. And Alan being the 9th of December, walked in the Jaffa Gate victorious to take on Jerusalem, to liberate it from the Turkish Ottoman Empire. There's a little scripture in Isaiah 31. I want to read just a couple of the verses Isaiah 31, please. I want you to see this, for this is important too. Verses 4 and 5. Verse 4 says, For thus saith the Lord, for thus hath the Lord spoken unto me. Now notice the term analogy here. Like as the lion and the young lion roaring on his prey, when a multitude of shepherds is called forth against him, he will not be afraid of their voice, nor abase himself for the noise of them. So shall the Lord of hosts come down to fight for Mount Zion, for the hill thereof. Talking about Jerusalem. Notice 
the lion and the young lions is mentioned. Do you know where else that is mentioned? In Ezekiel chapter 38. And do you know what it's mentioned in context with? The bottle of Armageddon. Gog and Magog, the Lord says, prophesy against Gog and Magog. He mentions Meshach and Tuval. That's the vast expanse of where Russia is today. He says, and tell them I am against them. They are going to come down, he says. And then they'll go up over the north parts. And they're going to have with them, I'm just doing this paraphrasing, you need to read it. It's another big study night on its own. But they're going to come, and listen to what the Lord says. They'll come with the house of Togarma, which is Turkey, and all their bands, Turkmenistan, Tajikistan, Tajikistan, and Kyrgyzstan, and all of the stand countries, the satellite nations of the former Soviet Union. They're all Islamic. He says they're going to come with, uh, with Persia. Where's Persia? It's Iran, and it's the area of Iraq today. They're going to come with North, North America, of Ethiopia and Libya, all of these nations are going to come against them. And there's others that are mentioned that I just haven't, Gomer and others I just haven't time to go into. But notice then, later in the chapter, there is a, another confederacy comes. It says, the merchants of Tarshish, listen, and all the young lions thereof. Great Britain, the mother lion, and the, the young lions of the Commonwealth nations all those wonderful nations that stood with her in the First World War and in the Second World War will be there for the Third World War. They will come around the motherland to strengthen her. And so we're told of all of these, and here it is uh, spoken of again in Isaiah 31 and verse 4. But notice what verse 5 says. As birds flying, so will the Lord of hosts defend Jerusalem. Defending also, he will deliver it, and passing over, he will preserve it. Notice, as birds flying, the Turks saw the royal flying corps, and as they saw these great big birds flying over Jerusalem, they just dropped all the weapons and says, we give up. Just as God had said, just as the word of Yahweh had promised. Now here's the thing. The Royal Flying Corps, uh, they struck up a medal, and on it were the wings, and it says, I spread my wings and keep my promise. That's their motto. I spread my wings and keep my promise. You see, friend, you can trust God. You can trust Him to keep His promise and to keep His word. Now, if he can keep his promise throughout all of this time when everyone was oblivious to it, uh, then how much can he, more can he keep his promise unto you? That we can trust him in all of these times. So, will you turn with me? Now, as things are going to get a little bit heated up here. We're going to go into where we are today, this last hundred years. Go to the book of Revelation, please. Revelation chapter 16. And what we're going to do... I'd like to take you through Revelation the whole lot sometime week after week, but you just might get bored with it uh, because there's a lot of it. Revelation chapter 10 speaks of the Protestant Reformation. Revelation chapter 9 speaks of the rise of Islam. Islam and then the Protestant Reformation. Revelation 19 speaks of the second coming, Christ coming victorious. Revelation 20, about the great white throne judgment, when all who are not written in the book of life are going to be cast into a lake of fire. Where the dragon, the beast, and the false prophet are, which we'll read now. See, people think, why, we don't touch that book. That's because people have told you from chapter 4, it's rolled into a ball and it's thrown away into the, into the far future somewhere. It's all been unraveling itself the whole way through history. It's happening. Notice Revelation 16. And let's just read, please, from verse 12. From verse 12. The sixth angel poured out his vial upon the great river Euphrates. And the water thereof was dried up, that the way of the kings of the east might be prepared. And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs, 
come out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. For they are the spirits of devils. There's that again. Notice that. They are the spirits of devils working miracles which go forth unto the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them to the battle of that great day of God Almighty. Behold, I come as a thief. Blessed is he that watcheth and keepeth his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. And he gathered them together into a place called in the Hebrew tongue Armageddon. Armageddon comes from the name of the Megiddo Valley. It means mountain of slaughter, really. It's going to be a great mountain of slaughter as they come toward that valley. But it's going to go worldwide. Whether you love or hate um, the fig tree in, in, in the Holy Lands or in the land of Israel, whether you're for them or against them, it doesn't matter. I'll tell you why. Jesus said it was going to be there. Jesus said it's going to be there. But it's there for Armageddon. All the nations will be drawn for this. And it, the influence of it, of that nation on others, will spark it off going through the world. So notice this here. Just, I'm going to give you some information. And I hope you can stay with me on it. Notice what it says in verse 12. The sixth angel poured out his vial upon the great river Euphrates, and the water thereof was dried up. You see, the number six is the number of man. The number seven, we see the seventh angel in the next one. It's God's perfect number, completion. So here we see is the end of man's rule, and the next one will be the coming of Christ's rule. And we're in between these right now. We're waiting for number seven. But notice this. The river Euphrates, or the great river Euphrates, must be dried up. Now, some will tell you the actual river Euphrates, which runs around uh, from Turkey, um, northern Iraq area, or right the whole way down around that fertile crescent toward Iraq and out towards Iran and that sort of area. They say, well, that river has to be dried up. That's a sign that Jesus is returning. It's a sign for all of the kings of the east to gather, to come across it. Listen, why would an actual river need to be dried up? It doesn't make sense. Let me tell you what the river is. The river is the Turkish Ottoman Empire that went from Turkey right the whole way around that Euphrates Valley, right the whole way down by that fertile crescent. And what they did was they populated down the river so they could irrigate the land. And that's why the rest was desert outside of it. So the great river Euphrates was populated and by people and they were under the cosh of the Turkish Ottoman Empire. Couldn't be moved. So now what happens is... Uh, uh, in the late 1800s, it starts to come under pressure. By 1917, the hub of Jerusalem is taken from them. They start to dry up. If something dries up, it just doesn't disappear. It starts to get lower and dry up. It starts to dry up even further until 19, 1922. The 1922 was the final end of the of the Ottoman Empire, which became then the Turkish Republic that we know, or the Republic of Turkey that we know today. And there, the great river Euphrates had dried up. It's just stopped there, right at Turkey. There, where it used to run right down, all the peoples. So the Turkish Ottoman Empire had been the drying up of the river Euphrates. Now, this was the sign. This is the sign, not just a river drying up. And what is it for? Notice verse 12, that the way of the kings of the east might be prepared. Okay, let's take it from 1917, the end of the seven times punishment of Judah, the release of uh, Jerusalem from the Turkish Ottoman Empire. Here's something that happened around that time then. The Bolshevik Revolution. It kicked off in 1917. Millions of Christians were murdered. Millions of them. 
the Bolshevik revolution with their Marxist ideology and their Leninism then that came from that also, and all of that communism that spawned from there, there was a, a, a young man, a Chinese man called Mao Zedong. And Mao Zedong, he learned uh, this communist way in Beijing University. And then he joined the Red Army, and he goes out to uh, Russia and to serve in the Russian army. Mao Zedong um, was uh, around 1893, and he died in 1976. He became known as, I'm sure many of you would be, uh, if you're a little bit older like me, you, know, you, you remember Chairman Mao. That's who he was. And what he did was he took this communist ideology, and he was a... Uh, he, he was a, a Chinese um, um, nationalist. And he brings it back and there starts a whole uh, civil war in China because of these things. The ideology of Marxism, Lenin, Leninism, and Bolshevism, and communism then gripped hold of the people of China. The Chinese civil war started in 1927. And it ended in 1950, but it had a break. Now, this is important. You might say, why all these dates? This is important. So the Chinese Civil War starts 1927. Ten years later, in 1937, they take a break. <laughs> Do you know why they take a break? Because the Second Sino-Japanese War of 1937 to 1945 separated them. The Japanese took over uh, a lot of China right into Korea. Now, notice where we're going. Into Korea today. Do you know today in the world there are two Chinas? Who's ever heard of the two Chinas? There's two Chinas. The first China is the red China that we hear and know about, the People's Republic of China. And the second one is a smaller one called the Republic of China, but you know it as Taiwan. Because of communism, they then ended up really populating Taiwan and going into there as a stronghold. Of course, that's why now the Americans would back up Taiwan when you hear it on the news, because that was the stem of their communists. And so then, after the first Sino-Japanese War, there used to be, listen, three kings in Korea. There used to be three ruling kings in Korea. Notice, preparing the way of the kings of the east. The Japanese took over and they annexed off, or they cut off that little bit of land that comes out from China called Korea in 1910. Now, stay with me. In 1919, two years after Jerusalem was liberated, demonstrations started to take place where 7,000 demonstrators were killed by the Japanese police and military. And the Korean liberation movement spread then to Manchuria and up into Siberia. started to spread then. Over 5 million Koreans were conscripted for labor in 1939 at the beginning of the Second World War. Listen, tens of thousands were forced into Japan's army to fight for Japan. 200,000 girls and women from China and Korea were forced into sexual slavery for the Japanese military to satisfy their soldiers. They became known as the comfort guards. Notice the very sin and depravity that's going on, the fight for the place. The defeat of Japan in 1945 then, of course, enabled the Chinese Civil War to pick up again. But the Chinese defeat of Japan, or pardon me, the defeat of Japan in 1945, the question was, what do we do with Korea? Notice, this is all from the drying up of the River Euphrates. Bolshevism comes, starts moving down even into Israel. Moves right across into Japan, causes them to split. They go to Taiwan. Of course, now the West are involved. From there, they annex off North Korea after the war, and they're all starting to find their place on the jigsaw puzzle. 
1945, the Soviet Union and the United States partitioned Korea along what's known as the 38th parallel. So you have North Korea and South Korea. And the tensions between the two ended in the, uh, in the outbreak of the Korean War from 1950 to 1953, which ended in a stalemate with no formal peace treaty. Now listen, now we're in Korea. Kim Il-sung had moved to the Soviet Union. And he became a captain in the Red Army, and he brought his battalion of Red Army troops right into North Korea, to Pyongyang, where we hear today the capital of North Korea. And the, the Russians were looking for a suitable person who could rule. And here's this young communist. Here's this young Leninist, Marxist, socialist, Bolshevik. Now, in the guise of a Russian soldier in Pyongyang, their capital city, he's the candidate, and he becomes known as the supreme leader. The supreme leader, their first supreme leader. Now, some of them started to move away from the strongholds of communism, but listen, they moved into something worse. It's called the Jush. The Jush. And they moved where it means they depend completely on self-reliance. Their view, their vision, even their religion is that the man is the master of his own destiny. They call themselves the true socialists. And the popular masses are the drivers of history. And their great leader is the top brain, they call him, or their mastermind. I notice this. Kim Il-sung his son takes over Kim Jong-il. His son takes over Kim Jong-un. And that's who you have sitting in Pyongyang today. This is the mindset they call themselves. I am supreme leader. I tell the people how they should live. Now listen, this is very important. Kim Jong-il, that is Kim Jong-un, who's there today, his father, not his grandfather, his father. Kim Jong-il in its 1970s wrote a book for the people of North Korea. And listen to the title of this. And you tell me, there has to be something in this. It's called Ten Principles for a Monolithic Ideological System. I'll read it again. Ten Principles for a Monolithic Ideological System. It has a set of 10 principles and 65 clauses which establishes standards and for governance and, listen, for guidelines for the behavior of the people of North Korea. Do you know what he gave them? His own 10 commandments. The supreme leader, the brain, gave them 10 commandments. That's why they worship him. That's why he's the power. He gave Ten Commandments. Listen, this Jush is not only self-reliance, but self-defense. And it's a fundamental principle of an independent, sovereign state. So now we look at why the West are worried about their nuclear arms. Is everyone with me okay? Can you see how this is all forming? The river Euphrates dries up when Jerusalem is liberated. The Bolshevik revolution allows it to go down and then across to the east. And then we see all of these happening and the kings of the east are rising after the drying up of the river Euphrates. That is the, the Turkish Ottoman Empire. At the moment, there's a group called the ASEAN movement or the ASEAN group. It's the Asian, Southeast Asian nations. They are Myanmar and Thailand, Cambodia, Singapore, Indonesia, Laos, Vietnam, Malaysia, Philippines, and Brunei. And they're trading partners at the moment, but they're linked heavily with China, pulling the strings. Someone once called it the string of yellow pearls across the Pacific and the Chinese Sea. Here's something to remember. Just this week, just this weekend, America has warned China. America has warned them and told them 
that they know their militarization has increased in the South Pacific. Woody Island, a little island, you nearly think a wave would go over the top of it. It's now being so much, uh, uh, so many weapons put into it. They're saying that these weapons are able to, or this island is able to contain nuclear weapons, long-range nuclear weapons. They've taken over other islands there. Japan are now getting involved. Taiwan is unhappy. And all of these nations are starting to rise up. But you know where they're looking to? They're looking to where the house of Israel went to the west. Starting to come, I guess. See when I heard about Kim Jong-un and he was going to meet Donald Trump and it was all great, give Donald Trump the Nobel Peace Prize and all I went, oh dear. This is just a plaster on the wall, untempered mortar. Chinese have built the Karakoram Highway right across out towards the Middle East. It's something like five to 700 miles. I can't remember the size of it. Now their troops can just go straight across, right through Pakistan and right in toward Jerusalem. They have built the Guardara uh, naval base right on the, the Iranian seaport. And it's a massive naval base. They've taken over actual towns in South America now. They're taking the oil. And they've linked up with little communist groups like Cuba and Venezuela. And they're taking the oil and they're gathering up. Why? Because they're going to need it for the troops that they're going to bring forward. For their tanks and for all of those things. America has built up their naval fleet in the Pacific. And now there's a warning with the, the saber rattling going on if you don't stop it. With Kim Jong-un, uh, Donald Trump says, you have a nuclear button. He says, I've got a bigger nuclear button. That's what it's coming down to. So it says here, that the river Euphrates, and the water thereof was dried up, the ways of the kings of the east might be prepared. And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs come out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. Now I'm going to do this another night. I've done this before. Here's the dragon, the atheist, communist, Bolshevik, Marxism. Everyone who denies the deity of Christ is an antichrist. Do you hear that? Everyone. Unitarian. Presbyterians deny the deity of Christ? Did you know that? I remember in Dublin when I was preaching on the deity of Christ, this couple came out, lovely dressed couple, and they came in, sat in the back, and round by St. Stephen's Green in Dublin, the next day, I'm, or the next Sunday, I'm walking around, and there's their wayside pulpit there, and there's this big poster. Jesus is our word of God. Just directly facing us. They changed it for us. Jesus is the Word of God. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Here's something else. Islam denies the deity of Christ. That's an antichrist spirit. Judaism denies the deity of Christ. That's an antichrist spirit. Think about it. The red dragon of Marxism and Leninism, even socialism. The beast here, he says, out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet, the beast, apostate Christendom, Romanism, the heart at church, the whore, and all her apostate daughters who's joined her ecumenical movement. all the Protestants who have joined in with it. See that man, Kenneth Copeland? Do you know what he said? That the Protestant Reformation was a demonic spirit. That's what he said. He said a lot more, but that's 
All I can remember off the top of my head is enough. The false prophet, Revelation chapter 9, star falls from heaven to the bottomless pit, to Abaddon and Apollyon is the name called the destroyer. And the smoke comes up, it's the teaching given to Muhammad. Islam. Notice this as we close. They're gathered together. The kings of the whole earth are gathering. Notice. To gather them to the battle of the great day of God Almighty. Notice verse 15. Behold, I come as a thief. Blessed is he that watcheth and keepeth his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. People think because Jesus says, I'll come as a thief, that he's going to tiptoe in and get everybody and let's all go, guys. He's coming with a shout, with the trump of the archangel. He's coming like a war cry. But the wonderful thing is, he takes John and let him take you tonight in all that we have said that's happening and going on. He takes the eyes of John off the earthly matters, shows him the signpost that's happening, shows it to you and I tonight, and he says, lift up your eyes. Lift up and look, he says, I am coming. That's the idea of it. He brings us encouragement in the darkness of the world that we're living in. And he shows us his light coming from heaven. And he shows us that he is even at the doors. He takes the apostles' view from earth and he places his eyes on heaven. And that's where you need to be placing your eyes tonight. You say, Lord, I know this is happening, but you're coming. You're coming again. In verses 16 to 21, we see Armageddon. Notice. And he gathered them together in the place in the Hebrew tongue called Armageddon. And the seventh angel, there's the seventh angel now. This is the last angel, the completion, the perfect number of God. And the seventh angel poured out his vial into the air. Notice the air. And there came a great voice out of the temple of heaven and from the throne saying, It is done. And there were voices and thunders and lightnings, and there was a great earthquake, such as was not since men were upon the earth. So mighty an earthquake and so great. And the great city was divided into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell. And great Babylon came in remembrance before God to give unto her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath. Notice Christ says, I'm coming, I'm pouring it out, and Babylon the great has fallen, has fallen, it's going to be destroyed. And every island fled away, and the mountains were not found, and there fell upon men a great hail out of heaven, every stone about the weight of a talent. And men blasphemed God because of the plague of the hail, for the plague thereof was exceeding great. Here's something, write it down as I just rhyme this off. First of all, this battle of the great day of God Almighty, or if we can call it Armageddon, will be global. Secondly, it will be spiritual. Thirdly, it will be physical. Fourthly, it will be powerful. And fifthly, it will be aerial. Into the air it's poured out. It will be aerial. I haven't time to go through them all, but here's one thing I'll say as a close. The seventh angel cries, it is done. Listen, there's no coming back for this. <laughs> this is it. There's no coming back. This is the kingdom of God coming to earth. That is in its fullness. It's done, he says. And it's, it's in the exact same fashion. It's in the exact same way as this. John 19 for our final reading. John chapter 19. Let your eye run down. The verse... 27, please. Then saith he to the disciples, this is Jesus on the cross. Then saith he to the disciple, Behold thy mother. And from that hour, that disciple took her unto his own home. Notice, after this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished. What things? Your sin was paid in food. Your debt was paid that you couldn't pay. Every sinner that comes to the cross would be saved, washed in the blood, forgiven of their sin, that you'd be ready for this great event that's coming. 
after Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, saith I thirst. Now there was set vessel full of vinegar, and they filled the sponge with vinegar, and put it upon hyssop, and put it to his mouth. When Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, What did he say? What did he say? Let the devil know. What did he say? It is finished. It's the same as the revelation angel, the seventh angel. It is done. It's accomplished, O God. It's over with. This is the finality. Jesus on the cross cried, It is finished. I have paid the debt. I have paid it all. That's what it means. Once and for all, never to be repeated again. Christ paid my debt. Christ paid your debt. He went to the cross that when he comes, you will be ready. That you're saved. That you're washed by faith in the blood that he shed. That you're walking according to his word. He paid the debt that you couldn't pay. We sang earlier on, Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it. White as snow. Christ paid it all. That you might be forgiven, that you might be saved. Near the cross, O Lamb of God, bring its scenes before me. Help me walk from day to day with its shadow o'er me. 